Imagine that you are in a backcountry somewhere. There is some kind of unforgiving wilderness, you know, the dry, arid wilderness. Maybe there's branches, maybe there's crusty grass. Whatever you have in your mind of this backcountry, it's wild, it's a wilderness. And there stands a solitary figure. Maybe there's a silhouette of him. But he's in stark contrast to this wilderness in front of you. It's empty and he's alone. A lot of people say that solitary confinement is the worst possible thing. In fact, our government has said that if you are put in solitary confinement, that's a punishment. But for this guy, he chose this lifestyle. He wanted to be all by himself. And so there's mystery around him. Why would he want to be there all by himself like this? Especially when there's a bustling world out there. There's a city with lights and so much more to be had. Why are you out there all by yourself? And who is this guy anyway? So the smart ones would look at him and say, that guy's enigmatic. The Appalachian folks would just say, he's weird. Simply put, here is John the Baptist, a man shrouded in mystery, but by himself in a wilderness. His very existence and his appearance actually matches the wilderness in which he inhabits. You see, he has a lifestyle that's unlike anything we've seen so far. He wears weird clothes and he eats weird foods. And yet this man, John the Baptist, in the scriptures, we see this man, he has an uncompromising spirit. He follows the Lord in everything he does. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. Sure, he's simple and maybe a little weird, but he's given his entire life to self-denial. And this self-denial has been his entire life's work. And that's stood in contrast to the bustling world out there with all of its charms and all of its lights and all of its commercialism. This guy is the anti-consumer. Who is this guy? He lived outside and he was desolate. He was all by himself. Where he was, he was always by a stream of water that was so very important to him. Sure, he shunned the material comforts of this world, and yet don't let his outfit fool you. This is a man of great conviction. He was a bold preacher. Repent, he would say. Repent. Turn your life around, for the kingdom of God is here, he would say. He would almost expect you to turn your life around. He had fiery conviction that this, as a society, had gone astray. And so he, although weird and all by himself, he urged everyone to consider the kingdom right here, right now. He demanded repentance. He wanted each of us to consider the kingdom and whether we are living our lives in accordance to it. And if not, to turn back to the ways of the Lord. He would encourage baptism, this ritual washing. If you've never been baptized, this outward sign of obedience, he would demand and encourage this. So his voice, although way 
way deep into the wilderness, it actually made its way into some of these towns. So people groups would find them, their way back into the wilderness and find him. People were listening to this message. Real people, sinful people were repenting of their sins and finding themselves baptism. It was working. Who wouldn't want to see revival? Who wouldn't want to see people come to know the Lord as the crowds and individuals would flock to hear John's preach, preaching and the fiery way in which he did it? So we would all want this, wouldn't we? We would all want to see people come to know the Lord. And yet there were some, even though they may be enamored and curious by John's ministry, he was simply too peculiar. He was too radical. He was too unconventional for them. And so in the same way that his voice resonated and made its way back to these towns and these cities, there was also another voice that started as a small whisper of distrust and criticism and rumors. These whispers of a wild man that couldn't be controlled. You never want to go to see a man who eats wild locust and honey, would you? Whispers and rumors discounting this man who only wore leather and spoke of repentance. And so these whispers took root. And what they said was stronger than what John said. Opinions changed. This man simply could not be trusted. In fact, he was a threat He's not just weird. Now he may be possessed by a very demon itself. Sure, he was fascinating. But to be trusted, he was no prophet. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And they say he has a demon. Despite all the good he was still rejected and called names. Hey, Peter, Andrew, I want you to come here for a second, says another figure. There's another religious force at the very same time, and yet this figure stood in stark contrast to John. John had a stole cold presence about him, and this one this man standing not by himself, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he radiated something else. He had an aura, not of isolation, but approachability. He drew people from all sorts of society. He wasn't enigmatic. He was, ma uh, he was magnetic. Jesus wasn't all by himself. Instead, he navigated from town to town and crowds after crowds. They would love to hear what he had to say. He loved communal life. He wasn't by himself. He was the man of the people. This was a man who was bridging two worlds, God and man. He felt comfortable with rulers and leaders, but also people who were more like peasants and slaves. He interacted with all spectrums of life. Who is this guy, they would say. He loved a good party. He shared laughter. He told stories. There was deep friendships wherever he went. He elevated this mundane act of a meal and he turned it into life. He just 
oozed life. That's why he would say, I have come to give life and life to the full. I've come to give life and life abundantly. A cup not just filled, but overflowing. This is what he promised. There was celebration and connection wherever he went. No one could take their eyes off of Jesus. There were shepherds and scholars. They were, they were beggars. All of them wanted to be found in his presence. He was very different from John. In Luke's gospel, the way some commentaries uh, have looked and outlined the whole gospel of Luke is that Jesus Christ was either approaching or going to a meal. He was either at a meal or he was leaving a meal. Meaning one way in which we can outline the entire gospel of Luke is through this idea of food and drink. This idea that this communion with God's people truly is amazing. Meaning the drinks would flow and the bread would be buttered and there was laughter and stories and compassion. He was not defiled by anyone. In fact, he was one thing that would rejected him was in way that he would touch and engage others. There were people that were outside of society. The sick he would draw close to. The maimed he would come close to. The contagious they were not spurned. Instead they were welcomed into Jesus's presence. Tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes without hesitation. You see Jesus did not see detachment as the definition of holiness. Instead, being woven into society is how he did life. But the stories about him started to drift as well. They started to fly about. Sure, he was a great teacher. And his miracles, no one could deny, but the criticisms came fast and hard and a full rejection of this religious figure as well. He was too immersed in society. He was too communal. He never shunned those. Look at him. It's such audacity. For John, the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say to him, he has a demon. And yet the son of man, this is Jesus, has come eating and drinking. And you say to him, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Two opposed religious figures, both under harsh criticism. And so what do we do with this? You see, you and I, whether we like it or not, we have social expectations on others. Some kind of normality that you place on other people. Some expectations that oftentimes clash with the ideal. And here we have both John and Jesus and their behaviors both being criticized for doing the exact opposite thing. And so we need to understand, brothers and sisters, that why we circle like this, we come from different places and times and activities. We, none of us grew up in the same town or even in the same country. 
because the nature of Christianity is multifaceted. It's known more for its diversity and the diverse paths that we have all taken. Some of you grew up here in East Tennessee. Some of you grew up in cities. Some of you are educated. Some of you dropped out of high school. Some of you are comfortable in a corporate setting. Some of you are not. Some of you have been healed by Jesus. And some of you feel absent or distant from the Lord right now. All of us come to Jesus in a different way. And what was happening to the religious leaders is they were looking at these two religious figures and going, they, neither one of them got it right. One's a demon and another is a drunkard. Get rid of both of them. And they spent their entire gener- or first century trying to get rid of Jesus. And so you and I need to reject one-size-fits-all Christianity because it doesn't fit all of us. When we say one size fit all, usually it means one size fits me. And when other people disagree with you, that they're wrong and you're right. It's not one size fits all. It's probably more like one size fits me. And here Luke is trying to paint a picture, a beautiful picture of John and Jesus and the wonderment and the miracles that they were able to say. And they were both ground to dust by the people who were in charge. I think in the same way, we look at people who differ from us. And you're critical. You have a critical nature. And you look and say they're wrong. And by saying they're wrong, you're saying that I'm right. Luke chapter 7 says that even Jesus was criticized. And so who should be followed? The ascetic or the party animal? Which tradition should be upheld? So there's rigid expectations because no one wanted to look like John or Jesus. And so they tried to shun them and push them away. We call this series Realia. The realia of food and drink. You may not have ever heard that word before, realia. But realia is just a word, uh, a word that means object lesson. It's an everyday object used as a teaching tool. The Gospel of Luke, right, for all of the chapters, was using these two things, food and drink, as a teaching lesson for you and me to show us ourselves, to show us the kingdom, but more importantly, to show us Jesus. So let me ask you a question. I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes, all right? That may be too weird. But if you were to close your eyes and answer this question to yourself, what image comes to mind when you think about Christianity? What image comes to mind? Do you think of an image of Christianity what comes to mind? Some of you is this radical spiritual encounter with the Lord. Some of you may have thought of some rigid kind of like Bible thumping preacher. I'm not sure what the images are, but let me be clear. What the gospel of Luke is trying to emboldened into your soul and your mind, emblazoned even, is this idea is that Christianity should look a little bit like this. 
the communal nature of the kingdom of God, where a bunch of people who do not belong find themselves at a table that they don't belong, finding themselves sharing stories and laughing and eating together at the table. Come all ye weary, and ye shall find a place at the table. Come all you. There's an invitation to all of us to come to the table and sit where the headmaster is Jesus and Jesus alone. He wants us there. And the eyes of Jesus and the movement of Jesus is this communal aspect that is wonderful and good. The church can be enamored with all of its programs and all of its principles, and that's good and wonderful. We have strategy here at Stone Church, and it's good and wonderful. And yet the life of Jesus says that there has to be more than programs, more than even a philosophy of ministry. There has to be a place, a real place where God is experienced. Luke is trying to say us there's something so common about something that we do three times a day, and if you snack, maybe five times a day, with food and drink that tells us about the kingdom. The kingdom is here, so every time you pick up your coffee cup, it is here. He wants to dwell with us in the same way that nutrients are consumed in our body. We're about to celebrate our 10-year anniversary, and we put a table on our logo. And that's on purpose because we want the image that is portrayed of us, of our people into the society is that we gather and we enjoy each other's presence as we think and we meditate and we testify of God's goodness. I have come to give you life and life to the full, Jesus says. The very essence of fullness is this essence of grace, this grace that overflows into your life and mine. Let me draw your attention back to this little phrase, the son of man. Jesus isn't called Jesus in our passage. Instead, he was called the son of man. Why? Because he is the bridge builder. That is who he is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, the Son of God is Jesus himself coming from God the Father to us. But he wasn't built just to stay in all eternity, past and future, only in heaven. But it was made for us to see, to behold this incarnate one, the one that steps alongside us, the Son of Man. He is our bridge builder. We need all of God and all of man to be able to see God and to see man. By looking more intently at Jesus, we get to see two things at once. Who God is and how he behaves and what he is like in his enduring spirit and his sacrificial nature. We get to see God's heart in flesh and bone. But we also, the second picture is to see how we too are to act. He is our example. And so we look at Jesus and we, are, we worship Jesus, but then we are in awe at the way that he beholds himself. And so our very walk of life is to emulate him over and over and over. 
there's a little poem at the beginning of this text. And it says, it says this, these little children are in the market, sitting in the marketplace, and they're calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance, they say. We played a dirge or a funeral song and you did not weep. What is going on here? Well, this is a picture, another picture of misaligned expectations. This idea that these children were playing like a, like a hillbilly, like getting them up, right? So there's banjos and there's a little cajon and everybody's like, look, you see this? And nobody was doing this in response. And they were like, what's your problem? And in the same way, maybe they had the cello out and it was maybe a little bit more somber and sad. It was a dirge. It was a funeral song and yet no one paused reflected. And so these misaligned expectations is what I'm doing is not being reciprocated, is not being held up. And so why would we think anything other than what Jesus is doing? And that's why the path is narrow and not broad. Because for some of you in here, you've seen Jesus for the first time and you don't have misaligned expectations, but you say that, that there, there, is the very perfect man. That is what I should emulate my life to. Throughout church history, the church has been an institution. And with this institution, it has a more solemn environment where piety opposed real life. When we look at a passage like this, we see Jesus oozing real life. He's not confined behind some walls with some religious people. He's not insular. Instead, he's dynamic, and he's walking into the reality of human existence. He's seeing and feeling and smelling in the same way, fully being perfect, even though he's with tax collectors and sinners. He's fully perfect and holy, and yet he's salt and light to those around us. And so we are to be in the world and not of the world. Why are we continuing to withdraw and move our way away from society? In fact, we should be walking toward it. If you are making more steps away and you are being more insular, you are wrong. Because Jesus Christ went right to the city center and he became salt and light for us to see, to touch, to feel. And praise God from whom all blessings flows. And so the Son of Man came to engage in a communal feast full of God's story and goodness. He is the picture of flourishing inside unholy activity. He still flourished there. And so the church needs to reclaim this type of identity. Most of you are not in full-time ministry. Praise God for that. Instead, you find yourselves alongside neighbors and at your work and where you play. And you can become a beacon of light, a beacon of righteousness where you are. An active participant in the vibrance of the kingdom of God. Realia of food and drink gives us permission to take that step forward. I'm just, I'm finishing 
Tim Keller's biography by Colin Hansen, and it's wonderful and good. The first couple of chapters has Tim Keller at a college called Bucknell. He's far from the Lord, even though he knows something about religiosity. He just shows up kind of lost as a goose. And there was a, a guy in his dorm room that invited him to a Bible study. And he's like, Bible study? And then there were two guys that invited him to a Bible study. He was like, Bible study? Then there was probably a cute girl who was like, hey, you should come to Bible study. He was like, Bible study? Okay. I mean, freshman in college. So through these invitations, as the semesters move on, he finds himself at Bible study, at the bequest by the invitation of another. Tim Keller comes to know Jesus. He falls in love with Jesus there at Bucknell. Come full circle his senior year at Bucknell. You know how he spends his summer writing personal notes, a handwritten note to every incoming freshman. And you know what that letter says. I would like to invite you to Bible study. We're not to be withdrawn, but be fully and completely invitational, looking at our friends and neighbors, people who are far from Jesus and far from community and say, you are welcomed at the table. There's no one that should be moved on. And so the fall of 2023, as we're looking at our 10-year anniversary, because there's a table on our logo, because the way we started this thing was a program that we called Big Table, and it had one initiative, to invite others to eat, right? Maybe that's two initiatives, but to invite others to eat and celebrate the goodness of God. That's what I want for our church to go back to the basics, to go back to your friends and your neighbors and say, come on, and to invite. On our 10-year anniversary, we'll find ourselves in Luke 14. There will be another feast, another invitation that has gone rejected. And so the master of the ceremony, the master of the feast, he's made an amazing spread. And he says, I want all of the dignitaries and I want all the important people. I want you to come and celebrate with me. But no one shows up. In fact, they all have excuses of why they can't come. But there's so much food and I've already rented the DJ. What are we going to do here So he sends his servants, he says, go to the highways and the byways, go to the countryside, drag whomever you can find into the banquet for tonight we will party. And Jesus tells us the parable because that is the kingdom. All is welcome. So the application for today and then also all semester is very simple. Who? Like Tim Keller, who is far from Jesus? who is far from community, that you could have an individual impact on their life that will change for all eternity. When you have a picture of Christianity, what comes to mind? Luke says, maybe up there at the top should be this idea of realia, of food and drink and the community that is created. Let me pray for us. And so Lord, as we come to the table of the Lord, Thank you for breaking the mold. Thank you for this unconventional path to the kingdom. Thank you for giving us a picture of gladness and joy and celebration. 
a reminder that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, that you've come to give us life and life abundantly. Lord, as we approach this table, help our hearts to be full of gratitude for what you've done for us. You gave us an example in which we could live by, but will fail every single day. And so therefore you didn't just have to live, but you also had to die in our place. And so Lord, help us to never get over that fact. Thank you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name.